welcome to the very first episode of Two Book Minimum, where a book doesn't have to be new to be new to you. I'm your host, Monica Fumarolo, and today's two books could not be more different, and yet I feel they are thematically connected by this weird construct that I personally think has lost all concrete sense of meaning. I'm talking about time. I'll be giving you my thoughts on The View from Saturday by E.L. Coinsberg, but first up is This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal L. Motar and Max Gladstone. First published in the United States by Gallery Saga Press in 2019, This Is How You Lose the Time War is a joint effort, and I could absolutely see this adult novella having young adult appeal. Clocking in at 201 pages, this book packs in a whole lot as readers follow red and blue. They are each operatives fighting on opposing sides, slipping in and out of multiple timelines, doing their best to alter history and therefore mold the future to their faction's particular vision. Red works for the agency and comes from a tech-centered culture where they have got all aspects of life down to a literal science. Things like eating and sleeping and reading are not necessary anymore. They have evolved past that, found efficient workarounds and downloads. Blue, however, is from the garden, and therefore is a small seed and offshoot of an all-encompassing consciousness that is part of all organic matter. They are adversaries, and yet the two women write letters back and forth, upstream and downstream in time and across different timelines. And I use the word letters in the absolute loosest sense of the word. Sometimes it's a message in a teacup, or inside of a fish, or somehow released by eating seeds. What starts as goading and antagonizing soldier smack talk turns into common ground and friendship, and then more. Through it all, the two have a mutual respect for the other as a strategizer, as someone who can commit to deep cover work and long assignments, who hates the lost city of Atlantis in every timeline it exists. They recommend books to each other, discover they have mutual acquaintances, and in a world where they are both only ever seen as a tool for a greater good or a means to a mission's end, the heart of this book becomes how each of them comes to care for and even love an individual that they have been assigned to hate. Some things that drew me to this book were the title and the striking cover art. On my copy, it's a pale blue background with fractured pictures of a cardinal and a blue jay. It's a book that caught my literal eye and attention over the years. But I'm going to admit, science fiction is a genre that's taken its time growing on me. It's only really in recent years that I'm more eager to explore that section of the bookstore. It can be intimidating with its lore and rules that tend to come with it, and sometimes when I'm looking to escape into a story, there is a tendency with science fiction to feel like there's going to be a quiz at the end. In the early pages of this novel, I'll admit a bit of that old trepidation was coming back. Context is everything, right? Yeah, well, Elmotar and Gladstone don't waste precious time and pages building that on its own. There is no Star Wars-esque scrolling text letting readers know who has done what or how we've gotten to here. You are plopped into the middle of the action. And while I found that overwhelming at first, I moved past it and eventually a switch clicked in my brain. Let me explain. My life is relatively tidy in that it's neatly divided into school years. 
It has been this way for an incredibly long time. Changes, therefore, happen on a schedule. New characters arrive into my story every August, and old characters graduate and retire the following June. But war? War is messy. Conflict doesn't wait until everyone's settled in their lane at the starting blocks. I figured it out as I went along in this story, and I was fine for it. In fact, the more I read, the more I appreciated this choice. The why of this particular war doesn't even matter, at least not to these two protagonists. Not anymore. All in all, this book was thrilling and captivating, and should these two ever team up again, I would love to see what they come up with next. My next book is by a beloved children's author who left behind an extensive backlist for future readers to explore. Elaine Lobel, or E.L. Konigsberg, was 83 years old when she died in 2013 and is perhaps best known for the 1967 novel from the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. I personally came to know Konigsberg's work by another route, and that is by her 1996 novel, The View from Saturday. Published by Anathium Books and coming in at 160 pages, it is another story in which time is very much a prominent feature. In this case, time being the summer prior to and the year of sixth grade. Readers meet Noah, Nadia, Ethan, and Julian, who are all sixth graders in the same homeroom taught by Mrs. Alinsky in Epiphany, New York. Only that's not really what brings this group together. Nor is it the fact that Mrs. Alinsky has picked them to be their class's academic bowl team. No, something different unites them. Known collectively as The Souls, each member of this quartet has been on their own particular journey with various degrees of impact and seriousness. The novel is told in pieces, alternating between third-person limited and third-person omniscient, and each soul gets a chance to explain their previous journey, which curiously happens to tie directly into a question being asked in the present moment at the New York State Middle School Championship. I was actually really nervous about revisiting this book when I selected it for this episode, because while I was hazy on the details, I remember loving this book in my later elementary years. After all, I've still got my copy years later, and it's come with me in multiple moves. I was curious actually to see how much my paperback cost when I got it, but I can't tell you because it is, and I quote, an exclusive Scholastic Book Order edition, but my best guess would be around 1998 or 1999, which would put me around 5th or 6th grade. I remember reading this book and yearning for a group of friends who treated me with as much care and courteousness as this group does, where it would be okay to be openly into things that others found dorky or strange. But what if I was remembering this book wrong? What if it was the right book at the right time 25 years ago, but it doesn't work for the modern audience? After all, as Mrs. Alinsky states, what if it wasn't that sixth grade had changed, but sixth graders have? I'm happy to report that this book does hold up for the most part, particularly in the first half of the book when the souls would be talking to each other or their parents. I could practically hear the same words coming out of the mouths of the sixth graders who hang out in my school's library every morning. 
And there's also that single-minded determination that they know something. Whether it's true or not, that definitely still can apply to today's 11-year-olds. The startling transformation between 6th grade and 8th grade is also something I have borne witness to. And how that passage of time, those three years, can be so fast and so slow and drag on forever and go by in an instant. However, were this book published today, I think there would be some significant edits. At one point, Noah uses a particular word to describe a female dog that I'm not sure it would make it past the 2023 editors. And as I neared the end of the book, there were times that when the kids were speaking to each other sounded more like middle age than middle school. There was an ongoing motif, including rope and the image of people being hanged and nooses as a means of psyching out the competition, which I just personally felt to be in poor taste, particularly with all of the strives going on in today's world for mental health and being more courteous competitors. And finally, there's the issue of Julian's father, Mr. Singh. With his beard and turban, he borders on a caricature with a mythical South Asian-ness about him, complete with his almost magical ability to know things another character has literally never spoken out loud. It really just emphasizes that every other character outside the two men of the Singh family in this novel are cued as white and therefore treating them as exceptionally other. So is this book perfect? No, of course not. No book is. But is the overall story and the messages that it's trying to share are the situations that some of these characters find themselves in or at the very least feeling their ways through something that I think is worthy of the limited time today's middle schoolers have to give? Absolutely I do. Now some of you maybe have been listening for the last 10 minutes and are like, hold on, wait a minute. I've heard about these books before, and I get it. I did state in my trailer for this podcast that my goal with this project was to highlight older books that may have gotten missed by the mainstream, and I stand by that. But here's the thing. The mainstream moves pretty quickly. Even though Time War came out in 2019 and won a whole slew of awards in its first year, including the Hugo Award and the Nebula, it's not a book that I've heard a ton about since. We haven't even arrived at its fourth birthday. And now, as for E.L. Consberg, I know, I know. The View from Saturday did win the 1997 Newbery Medal, which is the children's publishing equivalent of an Oscar for Best Picture. And yet, I looked it up, and in the middle school library where I work, our copy has only been checked out three times in the last 10 years. I was an English major, and that means that for a particular time in my life, it was literally my job to read very old books and study what they had to say. And that's something that doesn't really hold true anymore. I don't tend to seek out books that were written 20 years before I was born. And with The View from Saturday, that is what I would be asking of my middle school students. So I get it. Sometimes Old is just old, and sometimes old can be classic. Only each of us can decide for ourselves. So that's the story for now. I'm currently reading In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Klune, and until next time, happy reading.